We're doing another special guest episode today of Demand Gen U leading up to demand. And today we've got Adam Goyette. Adam used to work at G2. He used to work at Help Scout, and now he's a founder of Curtis, and he's advising a bunch of different high growth startups. One of the things that Adam's seeing right now in his role is a broken B2B playbook that everyone is running. So on today's episode, we're going to figure out what's broken and why and what needs to change. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So Adam, uh, I'm excited for this and I promise it has nothing to do with some of the hilarious stories that you were just saying before we started recording. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but I am going to make you tell one of those. And for people who have listened before, obviously, you know that Jason likes to swear as do I, uh, and I brought that up to Adam and, uh, Adam had a pretty funny story about, uh, swear that his, uh, <laughs> I'll let you take it from here. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about uh, kids swearing and how they, they listen to what you're saying all the time. And I shared the story of my four-year-old uh, the other week came into the bedroom to wake me up at like 6 a.m. Uh, and his exact quote to wake me up was, wake up, shithead. Uh, <laughs> so, I think he got it from my wife. I'm not taking the credit for that one. <laughs> no. All right. It's not your fault. You're, you're clean. Yes, I, I, I'm officially petitioning. We named this episode "Wake Up Shithead." So uh, we will. And I made you tell that story. I didn't tell you this before we started recording, but I made you tell that story because I tried to do a little digging with some of our G2 friends. I asked Olivier, I asked KY, I asked Danny Reed of trying to get some funny stories from you, and they didn't have any good ones that they wanted to share or ones that I think you would have felt comfortable with. So I'm glad we got one funny story to start it. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> no, it was just, I think it was, I think it was a good thing, but uh, yeah, it was pretty funny when I was, when I struck out this morning, when I was texting each room, like, Hey, give me some, some inside fastballs on Adam here. So uh, first things first, why don't we talk about, you know, we'll get into the broken playbook. We'll get into everything that I think you and I uh, hate about B2B marketing to some regard, but you were just at Help Scout for, I think, two plus years. You were at G2 for two plus years and you saw a lot and you just moved into this new, interesting role for yourself where you're advising a bunch of different startups. Walk me through kind of how that came about and, uh, you know, what's exciting you the most about that right now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, like at, at G2, uh, I was primarily demand gen growth marketer, and that was my my background and stuff. And so when I came to G2, one of the big reasons was I wanted to learn uh, more about marketing from amazing marketers, right? In G2, uh, you look at all the marketers that were on that team, you know, Eddie Schlainer was our copywriter. You have Ryan Benici as our CMO, like uh, Jorge Salvo was one of our growth marketers, Jesse Rowe. Like it was an unbelievably like talented team uh, of marketers. And I learned so much in that time. Uh, and then got to work at HelpScout for two years. And I scaled the team there uh, from about five people in marketing to about 25 by the time I left. Uh, and we saw really good growth and stuff like that. But along the way, uh, as you scale up these teams, you kind of stop becoming a marketer and you're more of a people manager. Uh, and, and so last year I started advising a company uh, and I just really loved being able to get my hands dirty and like jump in and, and help out with like copy and help them think through like very specific growth problems they were trying to solve for. Uh, and so I just found myself more and more enjoying that side 
Uh, and nobody looks that kindly on like the VP of marketing with 25 people who's jumping in and editing their emails. <laughs> so I was, I was, uh, good enough to not do that to anyone on my team. So, um, but yeah, so I, so I started scaling that up and there was definitely a big demand there. Cause I think a lot of B2B companies are trying to figure out the growth side and it's super competitive, right? If you think back, if you just sell you know, marketing solutions, you think back to that MarTech, what originally was like a thousand, 10 years ago. And now the MarTech, whatever, 10,000, 15,000, whatever they it's, it's like 10,000, whatever. It's just, well, it just, there's more and more categories every year and the logos get smaller. That's all I know. Yeah, exactly. And they're all telling those similar buyers, right? And so it's like VP of marketing. And so now if you're a marketer, you're selling to that one persona with everyone else in the world, right? And so, and it's so split up in terms of competition. Everyone's running super similar playbooks in terms of how they're going to grow. Uh, and so it just felt like there was this big need for companies who are trying to, to cut through the noise. So let's get into what's kind of broken right now. And I, you helped build the outline out. I definitely agreed with every point that you wrote in the, the email that you sent, but it's this notion of, Everybody running the same playbook and that playbook being old, it being fairly boring for the most part, and just everyone's doing it. Like, why do you think that that's happening right now? Yeah, um, I, I think it's happening. So maybe first, let's define what that playbook is, right? Um, and so one, it's like it's channels. Uh, so everyone has the same channels they're running. Everyone's running paid advertising. Everyone's trying to scale up content. Everyone's trying to do stuff on social. Everyone's, you know, sending direct mail, ABM, like all these things everyone's doing. Um, and I think the reason everyone is running very similar playbooks um, is because there's not a lot of companies where they're willing to take that risk and they're willing uh, to try to chase something that's different and out of the box. And so a lot of marketers are in an environment where it's just not the atmosphere. Like the safe bet is like, I'm just going to run LinkedIn ads. Uh, and I'm going to write thought leadership content and we're going to try to rank for it organically. Uh, like, and that's the playbook everyone's doing for, everyone's running, right? And to a certain extent. And so, and I think that's a much easier pitch to a CEO or a founder than I'm like, I'm not going to do any of that. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to run paid advertising. Instead, I want to go all in on this thing or I want to do this, but do it completely differently than what other companies are doing. And so, I think part of it is the atmosphere. And then I think too, it's just, it's a little bit safer. I think when you look across the landscape, it's hard to step out and try to do something different. So where do you think that comes from? Do you think that comes from the, the marketing leader? And I use air quotes because if they're running the same vanilla playbook, they probably shouldn't be in that role. But does it come from them? Does it come from leadership who's saying, hey, I think this is what we should do? Like, are you seeing anything in that regard? Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of times it's it's marketing leadership, right? Um, I think most CEOs just care about results, right? And so for them, it's like, I don't know, like most CEOs that I've talked to or founders don't care necessarily what marketing's doing per se in terms of like the playbook. They just care about like, here are the results we want to get uh, to. Um, and so I think it's more on marketing leadership to really like explain why it's important that they, they don't run the same playbook as everyone, right? If you think about it, like, um, every company is getting tasked with like crazy growth goals. If you're a startup that raised money and all this sort of stuff. And if your strategy is the same as every other strategy as companies, like you're going to have the similar results. You're not standing out because I, I think I shared when we were chatting before, like 
the average person sees 10,000 ads in a given day, the number is. And so like, if you're running one of those, if you're running one of those ads and it just looks exactly the same as all the other competitors in the space, like everyone with their blue backgrounds and all these things, it's like, (laughs) it's just noise, right? And everyone can spot an ad when they're scrolling. You're so good at it. You don't even realize how quickly you're scrolling past ads, right? Um, And how many times you're accidentally clicking on an ad and doing all these sorts of things. and so I, I think a lot of it just starts with like, okay, the channels aren't bad. Like every channel is a good channel, but how do we do it differently? And how do we take the time to say like, okay, before we start, let's take a look at what everyone else is doing and how they're positioning things. Uh, let's take a look at how everyone else's value props are. Oh, let me guess, you save me time, you save me money, like you help me get better results. Like that's what everyone says, right? And so how do you go about that differently? Uh, and so if you do want to do paid advertising, how do you do it in a unique way where the offer is compelling, the creative stands out, there's things you can do. I actually use metadata as an example, and this is like two years ago. This is not me like kissing up, but like the Ben Franklin exploding head on the orange background <laughs> with the glass <laughs> like cuts through the noise because it's just so different. And it's like, does that make metadata a better platform than any other one? No, but it, it catches your attention, which is like uh, to start half the battle because Everyone is just getting inundated with everything all over the place. So you mentioned a couple of things that we'll get to here shortly. But one thing that you mentioned reminded me of, we had a, it was an offsite in Denver about two months ago, and it was for our new SDRs that have just started. So I think we had probably somewhere in the range of, I don't know, 10 or 12 in the room with some other uh, execs or metadata. And for my presentation, what I did was I talked about how important uh, messaging was for how we talk about metadata and why it needs to be consistent and why it needs to be different than all of our competitors. I went to all four of our, you know, perceived competitors' homepages. I took all of the copy and I threw it onto a slide and I removed the company name and I showed all of them. And Logan Navo was in the room who should know all of this. Not a single person could tell the difference between any of our competitors and they guessed them all incorrectly, including Logan. So like, if that's how it all sounds on your website and in your ads and your campaigns, like just by doing things differently, like you're already getting a leg up to get somebody's attention to just figure out, you know, what is unique about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like the, the great example, uh, cause I feel like it became, it was like super unpopular and it became like really popular. It was like direct mail. Uh, and so like the way direct mail, everyone's doing it. it's like, send me a bottle of wine or send me like a box of top. Is it like when we were at like in office and I was at G2, if someone sent me something, like I just threw it on the table and I was like, here, there's cookies over there. If someone wants it, it's a vendor sent over. And I was like, whatever, <laughs> I don't care. Right? Like it wasn't a thing. And so it's like, okay, if you're going to do direct mail, that's awesome. But how are you going to do it in a way that cuts through the noise a little bit? And so like, and how do you do it differently? And so like, even an example like that, uh, we came up with lots of campaign ideas with the BDR team uh, to run direct mail that was just different, right? And so like, we would send actual physical copies of books and write post-it notes on it and earmark a page uh, to say like, hey, in the handwritten note, like we thought you'd be interested in what, you know, Seth Godin said on page 26 about, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, and so it was like thoughtful because you got this book and it's like with a handwritten note that it's got a page marked down for you and a thing highlighted. Clearly, might have hated it, but 
Uh, but like it got good response. It cut through the noise. People remembered getting that, right? And so we sent pinatograms to people. We sent like framed reviews of V2 reviews. Like we did all kinds of stuff just to be, not like they were amazing in terms of like the gift. Like I, most people would rather have a drone or whatever, a bottle of wine than, you know, a, a book, but it just cut through the noise so much better. Uh, and so part of that, that's really half the battle. It's like looking at a channel and saying like, how do you do it differently? So this was not planned, but you just mentioned something that reminded me of something hysterical. You may have been involved in this, maybe not, but it was when you were at G2. I received the best direct mail piece that I've ever received in my entire life from, I think it was Michelle Koenig or Michelle Koenig. Who? Yeah. Uh, so it was at, this is incredible. I'll tell it quickly. Uh, what was the big event that you guys had in West Loop? Uh, G2 Reach. Yes. So, uh, I was there. Awesome event. Uh, afterwards I was talking with, at the time I was working with Luke Rastetter who worked at G2 and went to uptake. I was at uptake at the time. And he made me tell a really embarrassing story that he had heard me tell before. And long story short, I grew up playing competitive hockey. My mom hated that I was so small and was getting smoked out there contact wise. Uh, so she signed me up for the Park Ridge ice show and didn't tell my dad about it. And my dad, this is back in the days of, you know, balancing checkbooks. My dad ended up finding out about, you know, what's this, however much it was to the Park Ridge Park District for an ice show. And my mom was like, all right, here's what it is. So my dad's like, we already paid, so we're doing it, but there's one uh, demand. And that demand is Mark is gonna wear hockey skates. He's not wearing figure skates. So I was the only kid in the entire ice show with, I had a, I'll have to put it in the social clip, with hockey skates on. Well, Michelle hears this and gets the Instagram that I had put up uh, with that same picture from Luke. She got that printed on a mouse pad and it arrives like a week after at my uptake office at 600 West in Chicago. And I opened it. She was trying to get a meeting with me for the longest time and I wasn't biting. And I saw that <laughs> I had literally scheduled a meeting within 15 minutes of opening the box. It was incredible. <laughs> I was not a part of that, but Michelle's a genius in her own way. Yeah. She was yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we got uh, awesome. Well, go find pictures of your prospects. As yeah. Cool. Like yeah, it's, it should be easy. Perfect. <laughs> if, if, only, if only we're as easy as that. So uh, last thing before we get into, uh, kind of the, the meat of this. So you mentioned goals and results and out of curiosity, when you are talking with founders at these startups before, you know, you're brought on in a full-time advising capacity, are you involved in that goal setting kind of process and, and defining what those goals are, or are you walking into, unfortunately, what many of us have, which is just insane goals already set for you. And you have no idea how the hell you're going to get to it. <laughs> A little bit of both, to be honest. Uh, but I think my, uh, because I'm an advisor, it's kind of a unique spot where I can just say, like, I don't think the goal is achievable, right? Like, uh, because sometimes they don't make any sense. It's like, you look at like the goal and you're like, wait, why? Uh, like, how are you going to do that? It's like, oh, we're going to get 200 leads from content next month. And it's like, you don't you produce content. <laughs> how are you going to do that? Right. And so it's like, and you have two people on the marketing team, like, and so some of it is level setting of like, let's set realistic goals of where we can get to. Um, and then also, I think one of the big things is marketing is one of those things where every it's, it's all greenfield. If you're an early stage startup, like you could be doing anything, you could be doing social, you could be doing TikTok, you can do whatever you want, but that's also a blessing and a curse. Cause it's like, you can't do all of them though, because you have a small team, 
you're strapped on resources. So like, what are the things that are going to drive growth uh, or drive pipeline or, uh, you know, whatever the metric is you're, you're shooting for, that's going to impact that this quarter and focus in on those two to three things and forget the rest. Uh, and so like, you don't need Instagram, you know, not to pick on Instagram, but like, Sometimes these companies keep going. I, 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 if I disagreed, I would have interrupted. Keep going. <laughs> Maybe some companies are killing on Instagram, but they're probably way more established, different. But like in B2B, like I've never seen, like if you're, if you're doing pipeline, Instagram has been always been more of like an employer brand thing. And so it's like, do you want your marketers spending 10% of their time trying to figure out like the small results they're going to get out of Instagram? Or do you want them just laser focused in, you know, high intent, you know, content or, you know, paid search or whatever the things are that you've determined are going to be the movers uh, for your business. And so a lot of it's just about focusing because then you do have an opportunity to get some of those goals. But if you're trying to do everything, it's just not going to happen. Never. So one of the things that you mentioned really hit home for me, which is many marketing leaders and teams just do things the way that they've always been done and are either hesitant or, you know, scared to do things differently. So to do things differently, how do you create that culture within a marketing team that people want to, you know, come in every day and know that it's acceptable to, to swing and miss, you know, fairly consistently? Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of things. I, I think one is set it up so the misses aren't so painful, right? Like do small incremental bets to learn before you make a giant bet. So like, the example I always give for this is like, when I was at G2, I talked about the framed reviews. We wanted to do that campaign. We didn't have any platform or anything to do any of it. So we could have gone out and said like, okay, we need to get a Sendoso in, uh, we'll hire a designer and then we'll get them all printed and we're going to send it out to our top 3000 prospects, all this sort of stuff. Instead, we had our in-house designer design something in like two days, printed them at wherever, got frames from Michael's. And we all sat in the conference room on Friday and I had the marketing team box them all up, literally frame them all. Uh, and so Gina Carlos cut her finger. Sorry, Gina. <laughs> <on a frame. laughs> and we framed them all up manually. We boxed them all up and we had task graphics come and pick them up and take them and ship them out. Uh, and so we did that in like a week's time. And so total costs for the frames was like, you know, 20 bucks a frame. So it was two grand and the prints were like 300 bucks. So like $2,300 we were in a direct mail campaign in a week's time to hundred prospects. And then we had BDRs follow up and then we had the whole program and stuff like that. And we got like a 25% meeting, right? And it's like, okay, now there's something here. If we had no meeting set from that, okay, we spent $2,400, right? It's not the end of the world. It's not like I went out and just dropped a million dollars on a campaign. And so now it's like, okay, now we have something here and we can scale it. And so it's like, you make a small short-term kind of bet and go quickly to learn, like, is there something here? Because that's as much of a thing uh, as anything, right? Like as much as you think this might be the campaign, you're probably wrong. Uh, and so the stakes of failing aren't that high when you're doing like two to three of those a month, right? And so I think the way you get to that point uh, is kind of what I've built out that most of the companies I work at, where it's just like every month you kind of lay out the goals. And you're like, okay, what are the ideas that are outside of the normal, you know, things we're doing already. Like you have your steady state kind of things. And so uh, what are the two to three things we're going to try this month that are outside of that? And so everyone will put in ideas in an Asana board before we ever even met. So all months people are throwing in random ideas. Uh, and so the worst thing is like you bring people into a, a, a meeting room and you're like, okay, brainstorm, go. 
Like and the people don't work that way, right? And so it's crickets. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so by letting people have the space, they see something and they're like, oh, I'm going to add that to the board. Right. And so it starts kind of going and going. And then people have to pitch their ideas. And it turned into this like super fun meeting once a month where everyone's pitching their ideas of like the creative things we should be doing. And they're all over the place. And so they're direct mail campaigns. I thought you said your favorite direct mail. I thought we sent pennies to people at one point. Uh, oh, oh, you got to tell that story. Let's hear it. Eddie Schlanger, <laughs> Eddie Schlanger. So if you don't know him, go follow Very Good Copy. Uh, uh, we're doing another episode with him in a couple of weeks. He is the absolute best. Yeah. So it, he's got this idea of like the bulky mailer where he put something in um, into an envelope that would just like you get an envelope and it's like it's got something in it. So you want to open it up and see what it is. And so we sent pennies to people. So this is a campaign that literally cost a dollar or like it's, it cost more in stamps than it did like the actual <laughs> Uh, and the message was, you know, the B2B buying journey has changed, you know, 90 or whatever than the stat was 90% of people uh, do their research before they ever come to your website. So you have two options. Like you can go claim your profile in G2 where we have 6 million buyers coming a month, or you can take this penny, throw it in a wishing well and hope you're part of that 5%. <laughs> and that was the message we sent. And we couldn't really even track it because it was like people trying to claim their pages and all this sort of stuff. But uh but that was like one of the, the things. That is so genius. It's just, but it's trying out. And that's like the fun part of marketing, right? It's like when you get to do those types of campaigns, that's the fun part people latch onto and they get excited about. It's not like, hey, go write this 15 part email nurture series. Like that's not really the thing. And so I think always <laughs> thinking through like, what are those ideas? Uh, and, and so we did a bunch of that kind of stuff all the time. And some of it was in paid campaigns. Like, what if we did this crazy offer where we just, you know, offered people a drone or whatever it might be, and we would try it. And so, like, I think it's it's figuring out having a culture where you're you're encouraging those ideas. And as a leader, like, one of the things I always tried to do was come with the worst idea. Right? Like, I want the worst, most outlandish idea. So everyone sees like, oh, he's got horrible ideas. So it's totally <laughs> our crazy, right? Because I think that's the thing people are afraid of is like, oh, I don't want to throw out an idea that's a bad idea. And it's like, most of them should be bad ideas. Uh, and, but we're going to do two to three of them every single month. And that's just going to be part of our cadence. And so if you can bake that in and make the risk low enough, uh, it becomes a really fun place to work, uh, which is a big part of, I think, just having marketing teams that work well. So let's uh, turn back the clock like what? This would have been three, four years ago when you were doing this sometime in there. Yeah. Uh, we're having this brainstorm with the team. Everybody throws out, you know, uh, some dumb ideas, a few occasional good ones. It's a safe space. There's no judging. How do you kind of land on which two or three bets that you're going to make that month? Like what's that thought process that you're, you know, walking through when reviewing yeah. each idea? So every idea someone had, you had to pitch and you had to pitch with like, what is the goal that you're impacting this? So you might have the idea of like, I'm gonna send pennies to people. Okay, why? Like, what is the goal you're trying to do? And for that, it was like getting people to clean their page or profile. And so that was like the major goal we were trying to impact. And so we kind of just went around and was like, who likes what idea? We kind of just voted on it. Cause like, mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of the criteria is like, can we do this quickly? Do we think it could have a big impact? Is it something we can continue to scale uh, versus just like a one-off thing? Cause sometimes people have ideas, but it's like, well, this will take forever to execute. Um, whereas like sending pennies is like, oh, we can do that tomorrow. Right. <laughs> I was like, well, 
You probably got to go to the bank and get a sleeve of a dollar, which might take some time. But yeah, <laughs> we, we legitimately did have to have to send someone to the bank. To get <laughs> uh, yeah. See, now I, I like that though because in, you know and and worked with G Cobane before. Like we've seen his experimentation framework. That dude is like the craziest mad scientist in the world, and some of it's just it's too much right out of the gate. So yep. to start small, to use kind of a simple way of reviewing things, approving it, and just testing it out before you scale it. I love that. G's experimentation framework is amazing, but it's also, it was way too complicated for what we needed at that point in time. Yeah. And, and the goal shouldn't just be that you're only constantly running experiments because that's, that's the other thing that early stage startups run into. It's like they have nothing that's like bread and butter uh, on a daily basis. So the idea is like, everything has to be, if it's working, how do we incorporate that as our part of our strategy? So now, okay, direct mail is working really well for us. How do we, you know, incorporate this as part of our overall strategy, um, and, and run it every quarter, like the frame review campaign, we did that every single quarter, uh, and we would just work with sales team. So like depending on, we didn't really get as many results as we hoped. So we stopped doing it. Right. And so like, there's lots of things, but it's like you move things in. Uh, to mainstay, and then you you slowly are building out programs, right? That are like consistent. That no, every single month, uh, we're going to do this frame review campaign, and we're going to get you know, you know, quarter million dollars in pipeline because of this campaign. So that's how you start to build scalability, uh, and that's why I think like then there is a path to to hitting some of those numbers, and, and a lot of times they're not through the channels you necessarily think, uh, and so. There's lots of ways you can start bolting on channels onto those t types of campaigns too, right? Like this is a perfect segue because I wanted to get into channels next and you didn't yeah. know that, but let's, let's do it. So keep going on channels. Yeah. So I was going to say like, you take a direct mail campaign that was like one off with like BDR outreach. And it's like, well now like, let's target that company, uh, that we're targeting with a direct mail campaign, you know, with ads that are very specific to the reviews that we, that frame review thing or pinata or whatever it was. And so now it's like, we're hitting them all over the place. Uh, so the BDRs are doing outreach. We have email signatures that talk about it. Uh, you know, we're running ads against the executives of that team. Like, and suddenly it goes from like, I've never heard of this P2 company to like, what's that frame picture in your wall, <laughs> in your wall, right? Like, oh, is that where that came from? Like, and so like, there's lots of ways you can go about doing that, but I think the, then you can just continue to bold up bolt on to those campaigns, I think, and make them really, really robust. But if you try to start there, it becomes this, this huge task to say like, okay, what are all the things? Uh, and you don't even really fundamentally know if the core idea is even good or is going to work. And I think just straight up, that's something that we caught ourselves doing, you know, I would say a year, year and a half ago at metadata. And we were more focused on that first instead of just trying to make some small bets and seeing what's working and then trying to scale that. Like we were trying to just pick something big and focus there first. When in reality, we probably would have been better off placing four or five smaller bets and seeing which one of those bets pays off and then expanding on it. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like you market the market, right? So like they, that's like the most fun job in the world, I think, because like we appreciate the marketing. Uh, they're also, it's one of the harder ones because they also know all the tricks. So like, don't send me a coffee cup with like my name on it. Like, and be like, oh, I'm thinking I'm going to be like, oh my God, he bought me <laughs> like, yeah, whatever yeah, 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 yeah. you see that. But like, I think that's another thing where it's like, you have to kind of bring your A game, but you get the, you have a lot of flexibility in terms of like, 
uh, what you can experiment with. And so it's also just understanding a little bit your buyer, like, uh, because it's not like what I just said, it probably wouldn't work at all if you're selling to SMBs and like landscapers, be like, what the hell is going on? Like, why is, who's sending me a pinata gram? This is annoying. Whatever it might be, right? Like, I think it's like understanding your buyers and like, what, what are they getting a lot of again? Uh, and looking at like their universe today and what are they maybe not getting that much of? Where are they not getting touched in some of these channels? How do we do it differently? So to bring it back to kind of the original topic of just everybody running the same B2B playbook. I think one of the things that I see is people just assume that regardless of which, you know, industry or type of software company that you're working with, that those buyers use the same channels and consume information in the same way and live in the same places. And you can't assume that. So as you're advising these different startups, like, are you working with them to kind of figure out where their buyers are before you just start throwing shit at the wall and hoping it sticks? <laughs> Yeah, I think honestly, one of the, the two biggest areas I spend time on early on is like, how are you talking about the product? Uh, and is it, is it like, does it make sense? Right. Cause I think a lot of times like people get like these ideas and there's such internal speak to it where it's like, we're the platform that does X, Y, and Z. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so, um, a lot, and like, I, if I don't know what it means, like your buyer who's like a landscaper runs a salon definitely doesn't absolutely know not means. yeah so, like <laughs> i gave the example the other day someone was talking to about like selling into the medical community and stuff and i was like my wife's an er nurse if i asked her does she use software at work she would say no she uses it but she would be like oh i'm on my i have to use my computer like she doesn't even realize that there's software powering all the stuff that she's doing because it's not her language like you know what i mean like she's not installing it she's not doing anything with it she just Open up the computer and it's there. It generates our notes in. And I just what? had a Zoolander thought of the files are in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> like, I think like people write in ways that are like super like SaaS oriented. And like, I think that's a big problem to begin with. And so I think just understanding like what would actually resonate if you were that buyer. And that goes a long way to understanding the buyer. And then I think the other thing I always ask you like, what are the types of calls you're having when you're, what are the questions you're getting? Uh, and understanding like, what are they asking for? Uh, and then other people who are using the product, like what do they say is the number one thing you're solving for them? Like sometimes like, I think what people think they're solving for is not actually the thing you're solving for. Uh, and so I think understanding that of like how people are using the platform and the problems you truly solve really comes just like conversations, right? Uh, with customers and, and prospects and stuff like that. And I know everyone loves to say like, talk to your customers and stuff, but I don't think many people actually do with the problem. I could not agree more. I think it's one of those things that you see in the LinkedIn echo chamber and it's just like, oh, talk to your customers, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, when we went through this at metadata, when we were redoing our messaging originally, like a year and a half ago, I thought I knew everything that needed to be said on the site. And I went to the, you, I mean, you were looking at it at the time yep. in our cab and a few others. If I would have just started writing copy on the site, assuming everything that I knew was right, like we would have missed the mark completely. And you don't realize that until you actually get out there and talk to customers. It's yep. it's like basic marketing at the end of the day, yet no one actually does it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing is like, no one takes the time to look at like uh, what the competition is doing as well. Because you talked about like where to find these people. Uh, a lot of it, you can just honestly figure out by like, who's ahead of you? Because most markets, like you're usually not the first one into that space. Uh, and so for a lot of like companies, it's like, okay, there's 
a hundred companies already in the space and we're going to do it differently. It's like, yeah, but not in the eyes of a customer, like not yet. Uh, so you have no distinguishing characteristics yet. So like, let's figure out where are they seeing success and like, where are they having, uh, channels that are working for them? Like weird, everyone has a 40 person outbound team. Maybe that's the way <laughs> they're being able to do it. And then it's like, okay, the channels that most of these companies are operating, uh, if they're seeing efficiency and growth through, then it's like, how do we do it differently? How do we do a playbook that, that runs a little feels different and stuff like that. But I think a lot of times, uh, companies start off with this idea that like, we're going to be so different than everything else that's out there. Um, and the reality is like, most people don't want different. They want what they have now. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned was creative and I think, is it rocket TM or Rocketium that you, uh, advise for? Yep. So. This is a no, uh, pitch slap zone. So we're not going to try and pitch you this, but it's an interesting product and we'll talk about that second. But I think the, the bigger issue is creative in B2B, just looking so cookie cutter and similar and just not unique. How do you work with the companies that you advise or in your help scout or G2 days to come up with creative that actually stands out? Yeah. Um, so there's two things. Um. I don't view, um, ad creative as something that needs to be on brand. <laughs> Everyone's probably gonna hate me then brand. Um, but to me, it's like, I need to get someone's attention. So they stop scrolling. Um, and so a lot of times, actually, I, I'm a big fan of like, don't have a graphic design thing. Just have a picture of a person like Jason's LinkedIn ad gets me almost every single time. That stupid one the, where he's looking down. Like, the, <laughs> literally the most unpolished stuff that we have performs the best. Yep. Yeah. So his, his ad gets me almost every single time where he looks up and he's like, oh, hey there, you'd be a marketing. Uh, it's great. And like, I, I think back to our best performing ads at G2 were just literally pictures of people at their desk. I wrote the article on Manadie, yep. uh about that. And we saw like a 20% bump. Because if people thought it was a real picture, it stopped them from scrolling and they're like, and now they're engaging with it, right? Same thing with the video. You'll click play on it because you think this is a real video uh, from a real person. And people are so strained to see ads that I don't want a heavily designed graphic. And so when I think of like the creative, uh, there's lots of components to creative, but like from an imagery standpoint and like an ad itself, I think the more raw, the better. Right. Because I think it, it just cuts through the sea of all the design graphics and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think people buyers care as much about creative, uh, and B2B as people think they do. Um, like, I, I don't know. I never like felt like I ever bought a software because of their creative. Like I bought horrible pieces of software. Um, <laughs> like creative, like the worst, and yeah. <laughs> the opposite, right? Where it's like, they have like the worst creative, but the product is awesome. Right? Like, uh, well, I, I've done it both ways, like horrible, creative, amazing product, uh, horrible product, amazing, creative. Like it yeah. goes both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, so to me, I think it's, it comes down to like imagery. I think that'll cut through the noise and get someone to stop, which is like number one. And then number two, it's like, it has to be copy. That's that's compelling, right? That isn't just like jargon, Phil, um, where it's like, I read some of these, like you said, it's like, if you go look at like in the ABM space and stuff like that and read copy on the site, it's like, I, I have no idea what this product does. <laughs> like they all sound exactly the same way. Uh, and I don't even know what exactly it is. Um, and I, I'm laughing because I saw an ad for one of our 
competitors and I'm not going to out them, but in their book, a demo ad, it said, come see the power of AI and big data. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. What exactly are you selling? I'm not sure. Um, so I think it, it's always about like, I, why would anyone care like about seeing the power of big data and AI? Like, tell me how like I can hit like whatever, hit all your targets in Q3, uh, something like that. Like, okay. Maybe you grab my attention there. That's probably a horrible example. Uh, but like, I think there's lots of like ways your copy should be about the person and the problems they're trying to solve, uh, way more than it is about like whatever jargon you're trying to fill it up with. Uh, and again, it, it comes down to having something compelling, uh, that's interesting. That would, is fun to read in some way, right? Where it just like cuts through the noise. So I've worked at companies and I've done this before and thankfully I've seen the light where you're running paid campaigns and the last thing that is thrown together before you launch this campaign is the ad copy. And when the ad copy is an afterthought and you're just rushing to fit the character limits and just make sure that it looks a little bit different and you can get it out there. If that's how much time and focus you're putting in the copy, your campaigns are not going to do anything. Yep. So why would you waste all that time and effort just to rush copy at the last second. Yeah, exactly. I think the other thing too, people don't spend any time doing, uh, is like looking at the journey you're putting people on, right? Like, Ooh, it's like yes, let's talk about this. Yes. This is like a, the biggest pet peeve of mine. It's like you spend all this time, all this money running these campaigns. You're asking them someone to click on an ad to go off of their experience on a landing page, then click another button take me to demo request form. And in the meantime, I have to close, accept cookies, close the pop-up that you forgot to turn off for your ad landing pages, like all the, the chat bot that pops up. It's like, you're providing one of the worst experiences, like from a usability standpoint. Um, and so to me, that's like such a, a bad experience and they're probably losing so much through the funnel. It's ridiculous. It's like, you probably, how many people are just like, you get at the site. I think I posted something like Twitter the other week and it was like four pop-ups on the site. Cool. I, I actually saw that when I was doing my homework, you had some good ones. And then, uh, I think my favorite one actually was, uh, I'm a big, uh, I love made up kid Mondays on LinkedIn. So I think you posted it a couple months ago and you were talking about like, you know, my six month old, uh, talking about how crazy the, the job market was and teething was, you know, uh, a pain. Yes. Do you remember that one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not afraid to pimp my kids out for whatever. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, we could probably do an episode just on uh, outrageous LinkedIn posts, but yeah. we'll have to have you, <laughs> KY, and maybe Eddie on that one. Um, we're coming up on time here, but one last question that I want to ask is a little broad, but it's related to what you're doing right now and the, the startups that you're working with. So across all of these startups, are you seeing any like big kind of marketing trends for early stage startups right now? Like show us the future, you know, six months from now, what are you seeing these companies doing? Yeah, I, I think to be, uh, so one of the trends I'm noticing, um, and maybe it's, it's just the byproduct of who I'm working with. Um, but a lot of them aren't trying to bring in, um, uh, a big CMO or anything like that. They're focusing on like, we need people who can execute. So I think a lot of startups are realizing like the name of the game early on is execute speed. Speed is such a critical thing. Like we talked about, like how quickly can you ship something to learn? You want to learn as fast as possible what's working, but also what's not working. So you don't waste your time uh, doing those sorts of things. And so I think early stage startups are starting to realize that. So they don't want to bring in a VP of marketing, a CMO 
type of situation where it's going to be like, our, my strategy is for the next six to 12 months, I'm going to build out a team of 20 people. They're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're going to say that like, I, I, spot on. So I think that's one of the trends that, that I'm seeing. And so I think with that, I think the other thing is like the, the companies that seem like they're having the most success are the companies that are the best at hiring really good marketers, uh, like who can do the work. Um, and how do you hire really good marketers? Well, it kind of goes back to what we talked about with like creativity and space and ownership. Like people don't want to work uh, where they're getting micromanaged and they have to do the same boring tasks. Like if you want to hire good marketers, if you create an environment like that, where you're like, hey, here's what, I'm, what I want, uh, you get a free reign to run whatever tactics you want. And we're willing to, to break the bank. Like you can, you can do whatever, nothing's like sacred here uh, kind of thing. And like Testbox is a great example of that. Like Sam Sr., who's their, their founder, is like, I don't care. Like, we can do whatever. I'm up for whatever. And he's so open to any new idea that we throw out that it's like, it's super fun because you're like, oh, this is a crazy idea. And it's not like you're like, oh, now I have to go justify why we're going to do it. And it's this painful thing. If anything, like he's more excited about the crazy ideas than anyone else because he's like, oh, yeah, that'll be awesome. Right. Like, um, and so I think the companies that are are creating that environment for for marketers to really come in and have that sort of impact and and try and experiment are going to be the ones who see a lot of success. So last question, I promise this is the last question. So uh, you said his name's Sam at Testbox, yep. the CEO. Yes. So walk me through, you know, you try two or three crazy ass ideas in the month of August and you go back to him and you kind of share, all right, this is what happened. Like, what, what does that conversation look like? How does it go? Yeah. Uh, so we're having weekly conversations, I would say at this point, uh, as I'm helping them out, they have an amazing, uh, mar marketer in Hiba, uh, Hiba Amin, uh, if you don't follow her, you should, uh, she's amazing, super talented. Uh, but really I think like it's more about like, what can we do that's different? And here are the goals we have, right? It always comes back to the goals of the end of the day uh, of like, how are we going to achieve these goals? But I think we quickly realize like, you're not going to outspend the competition. Uh, and we're not at a spot where, uh, you know, we have this big content engine where we're competing if you test box with G2s or Capferos of the world. So it's like, that's going to be a long-term play. What are the things we can do now to make some noise? and get out there and stuff like that. And so uh, I think that's the exciting thing. And it, it's a safe space to fail. Like we've set like crazy goals, like they're launching the marketing automation category next, uh, and they want a thousand people uh, on their wait list before they launch it. Um, and so it's a super aggressive goal. Um, and so like we had came up with the idea of like sending out custom mugs to a bunch of people and doing like fun campaigns where we're giving away a $2,000 Airbnb gift card if you sign up for the wait list. So it's like, who doesn't want that, right? Like, and so what's a better use of $2,000? Taking that and trying to run like paid uh, search ads or like write a fun contest on Silicon where you can generate 200 people to sign up for it, right? And so we bought $200 in Mega Million tickets last week. Uh, I saw that, that was amazing. Yeah. That was incredible. That's so over 200 bucks. <laughs> we got like 30, 40 signups. And it's like the ROI on that is great. And got, could you imagine if we had actually won? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be well, here. here <laughs> like perfect example. Well, yeah, you would not be here and you shouldn't be here. You'd be on an island somewhere. Uh, but like perfect example. I saw that. I'm not in the market for test box right now. I mean, I know that I'm connected to you on LinkedIn and I see what you put out, but I'm noticing that like, that's the best way to stand out is doing cheap, small bets like that, that are different. Yeah. And it's just, it's fun too, right? Like 
it's these fun type of campaigns that just cut through the noise. Uh, and so I think like that's where, uh, that's where the conversations usually are. It's like, okay, what are we shifting in the next two weeks? Awesome. How'd we do against that? There's not a lot of time spent worrying about what didn't work, right? And if something's work, it's like, okay, how do we do more of that? What can I do to, to give you more funding to do more of that? And the focus is on all the things that are working and like, what are we trying next? Uh, and so, yeah, I think that kind of energy is super contagious when you're working at a company that's early stage. I love that because when you're focusing more on that and not what didn't work, then it shows the rest of the team that it's acceptable to, to fail in an environment like that and move on to the next thing and try the next small bet. Yep. Totally. I dig it. Well, Adam, this was awesome. If this is any indicator, I'm sure your session at demand is going to be amazing. Thank you for coming on to demand gen you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. I had a lot of fun. Alrighty. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.